What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you so much for tuning in to Nerdy 430, the podcast where comedian Tim Keck and I talk about nerdy-ish things for 30-ish minutes. My name is Kevin Bauer, and today we are ripping the Band-Aid off by talking about The Matrix Resurrections. You know, let's get right down to it. We both hated this movie. We both fucking hated this movie. We haven't actually talked about it at all yet, just in the dread in both of our voices when talking about the fact that we were about to spend a half hour, one more half hour of our lives putting any attention on this fucking piece of shit. You're really selling the pod, Kev. This is great. <laughs> Guys, like and subscribe. Five stars. Five stars. Please enjoy. The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, the Matrix wasn't the only thing that needed to be resurrected after this because I died of boredom. The EMTs were working on me for a good half hour trying to get me back to life. This was... I watched it on HBO. And this is becoming my biggest critique of any movie that I watch at home is... I could pause it and walk away at any time and never think about it again. I feel like it's the greatest insult to any movie is like, I could stop this right now. I could go to the kitchen. I could make lunch. I could call a friend. I could go for a walk and I could never return to this world and never lose a second's thought or second sleep or pause on this. I mean, it was it was not great, Kevin. It was not fun. And yet, despite the fact that you were ready to walk away from this world at any moment, Warner Brothers wanted so badly to return to this world that they were willing to spend $190 million on this film. Keanu Reeves alone was estimated to have made a base salary on this between $12 and $14 million. Spider-Man No Way Home cost $200 million. Tim, money well spent? <laughs> uh of course not but the the difference between this and spider-man is that the the actors and the people involved in spider-man wanted to be there and the kind of the story i've heard with this matrix movie is warner brothers was like yo we're gonna make this with or without you with or without you know keanu uh What's her face? Uh, the other the other person, Trinity, that they brought back without the Wachowskis. They were like, we're going to make this, you know, whether you're here or not. And so one of the Wachowskis signed on. They convinced Keanu to come back. Like, it seems like there was some arm twisting in this because this is big IP for them. They this is, I guess, a big franchise. I guess it's still making money. I mean, it's a huge franchise. This is one of the biggest franchises ever. But man, it just. It, it all felt a little forced. I kind of would have liked it better if none of the original people were involved. Just give me like a brand new. Let's pretend it's all like reset. Let's reset everything. Let's bring back new people and let's just explore the Matrix from a different angle. You know, do something completely new. But that's not what they wanted. I think the movie was written to accommodate that possibility. The fact that, you know, Lawrence Fishburne wasn't in it. I remember hearing from him pretty early on that uh, nobody had reached out to him at all. I don't think he was supposed to be in the I don't think they even thought about including him for a, I don't think they wanted him in the movie. Yeah. And I think the fact that they had this whole narrative that you can look different and basically it's your spirit, but your, your avatar in the Matrix looks different. They had to do it for the first trilogy, too, when the actor that played the Oracle died. But 
I think they were prepared for Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss to not want anything to do with this movie. The idea of the Morpheus character, I think, is good or interesting, is that Morpheus before was a person. Lawrence Fishburne was a human being. And so then in this weird warped meta reality, Keanu Reeves created a program that imitated Morpheus, that imitated Agent Smith, and they battled it out and then just morphed together and created this new Morpheus who has characteristics of both men. But it's not a man. It's not a human being. This is a program. This is a program with that the mentality of both those. And that's a very interesting movie. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't be uninterested in seeing that movie. I think that could be a good movie, potentially taking that character. I like that kind of a reboot. We get Morpheus. Now it's a computer program. Now there's this internal struggle between good and bad between him, which we didn't actually see. We didn't explore this character in any way. He was just there. But the idea of that character is great. I don't know why they can't. You can't have another one. There's really just one. The one you can't have another. The one they even discuss in Reloaded. They talk about the fact that there's been, I think, six ones before Neo. It's absurd. Look, I get I want to I want to make this very clear, too. I know what this movie was trying to say. I understood the symbolism. I get it. I don't think it's clever. I don't think it's smart. It's not, it's not mind-blowing in the way that you would want a Matrix movie to be. The second and third Matrix movies, for all their flaws, at the very least, they're grappling with some pretty cool philosophical constructs about the nature of choice. But this one just kind of feels like a regurgitation of a bunch of like half-baked ideas. Somebody said recently to me that this movie feels like it was written by the comment section on Reddit. Totally agree. Uh, this is a cash grab. This, that's, what this, <laughs> that's what this is. Somebody said this to me before I watched the movie and I, it rang true to me. It's like the first 45 minutes is an interesting start and I'm excited for it to get Matrixy. I'm like, cool, because then they, they even make fun of the fact, like, what do you think of when you think about the Matrix? And I think of guns and I think of action and I think of like mind fuckery, but you need the cool action element. They're poo pooing in the beginning of the movie. They're like making fun of us for wanting to see a cool shoot 'em up. They created a re reality in which someone can like snap their fingers and create like an infinite row of like infinite guns and they can walk into a building in a trench coat with like all these guns underneath them and whip them out and just murder a bunch of like computer programs. And it's so cool. The reality they created is like the perfect tapestry for awesome badass action sequences. And then they're like, you know, but you're dumb for thinking that's what the movie's about because and there is deep. But the first Matrix movie is a good, deep, thought provoking movie with badass action. And the beginning of this. You're right. I get it. We get it. We understand what you're trying to say. But then give us the good stuff. Give us the goods. Give us the reason why we came here. Keanu Reeves doesn't touch a gun in the whole goddamn movie. The fighting they're doing is like modern grappling. Yeah. He's just it's not the wire foo that we that we expected from the Matrix. I'm sorry. Maybe that's not cool anymore. They're not making movies like that anymore. But that's the stuff that we really liked in this. Even like the second, even the sequel Matrix movies, they had awesome fight scenes where he was fighting those guys. And they were taking weapons off the walls and they're all just jumping around a room <laughs> together. It was like goofy as fuck, but it was awesome. There were like samurais with dreadlocks, like cutting people on in cars, like on the highway. They're just fighting on the highways. People are more like... Do something even remotely interesting, but instead 
Keanu is just, you know, doing the movie push, you know, with like Chris, young Chris Evans. And it's just, it's not fun. It's just not, not what I wanted to see in this. Dude, the closest we got to that fight scene in this was when a bunch of the exiled programs from previous Matrix movies show up and attack them in a warehouse building. And they all look like they are wearing items from the derelict clothing line in Zoolander. (laughs) Everybody looks like the cast of Stomp. Yeah. If they'd started just, if they just launched into Stomp, I think it would have tracked for the movie too. If they just done like the rest of the movie was just a performance of of the, the cast of Stomp, I think it would have been fine. Like this, just nothing about this was right. You know, nothing about it was right. The movie it felt the most similar to was fucking Space Jam A New Legacy. And <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre that these are both Warner Brothers movies that I think were basically made out of spite toward Warner Brothers. And I think it's maybe the creation of this new like shared universe of like Warner Brothers IP being frustrated by the creation of itself. It's a universe that is like so angry at itself for existing that it is willing itself into existence. We are witnessing the birth of an actual artificial intelligence. It's wild. Like, I guess they just want to be Harry Potter world, right? They want you, they want you to go to a theme park and ride the matrix, you know, and, and go through and then like, you know, go to space jam mountain and <laughs> like do all this stuff. They just want to make money. This is, these are all cash grabs. They, they had these products that were amazing. And there's something to be said about le- letting things lie and letting them be iconic, you know? Yeah. No one's going to talk about LeBron's Space Jam. It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It made me hate LeBron James, an athlete that I have really respected for a long time, who won, you know, two championships for my Miami Heat. And now I can't stand the sight of him. I don't call him back anymore. I don't want to be in the same room with him. If LeBron James came here and was like, Tim, I'd like to give you an autograph, I'd say, fuck you, LeBron James. How dare you even look at me after what you did to Space Jam? This was terrible, LeBron. God, you're a you're a spineless weasel, LeBron. You're a coward. You're half the man Michael Jordan is. Tim, you couldn't even fill out a half a movie, you punk. How dare you do this? Jesus, this is the most embarrassing shit. I'm embarrassed for you, LeBron James. God damn it. Tim, I know I I promised you I was never going to bring this up on the podcast, but I feel like it is relevant to what we're talking about right now. I, a lot of people might not know this. We were at a restaurant one time in Manhattan. I think it was Nobu. One of my faves. We had a booth near the back, as is customary. We saw uh, LeBron come in the front door. Yeah. And Tim, he got up and he left. And I was like, Tim, what are you, what are you doing? You know, we ordered. You put money down on the table to pay for the meals. It's not like you were stiffing anybody. You just, you saw him and you were like, I, I just, I just can't, I just can't do this. It hurts too much. But you know, Keanu is uh, bulletproof. I don't care what Keanu, Keanu, <laughs> Keanu's a fucking hero. Keanu could make three more of these movies and I'd still be like, you know what, Keanu, you're a great guy. Go get him, bud. It's like Liam Neeson making like eight versions of Taken. You know, he does like two sequels and then he does like eight other things. It's like Keanu's just this just a great guy and he's just trying to, you know, do his thing. He likes to work. I respect that, you know, but LeBron James has another job. He left his other he left his day job to do this, this hobby of his and failed miserably. I mean, God, can we talk about something else? What what did you hate about the major? 
everything, Tim. I hated everything about it. I hated every single piece. It's all it's all beefs. It's all beefs. Trinity's not in the movie. They fucking Captain Marveled us, where the whole movie, the character we want to see be awesome, doesn't remember who she is. We get a little bit of Trinity at the end of the movie. It is not worth the two hour and 15 minute wait to get there. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is not in the movie. Right there, you have like two thirds of what made the Matrix movies fun are not present in the movie. No, I was just going to say Carrie Ann Ross, Carrie Ann Moss, and Keanu Reeves have great chemistry. So, of course, they bench him for the whole movie. <laughs> the premise of the movie is that their chemistry is the thing that makes this world work. And therefore, they must be kept apart. It was what was powering the whole thing in the background, Tim. You're right, though. This was a great metaphor. You had a great metaphor with this is if there if the thesis statement of this movie is that the real heartbeat and the real juice behind the Matrix series is the relationship between Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves and their on screen chemistry and the chemistry their characters have together. That's great. That's cool. I respect that. But then to not give them any screen time together in this movie is insane. It's like you're just talking about the thing. This is Improv 101. Stop talking about the thing and show us the thing. You know, even more scenes of them together and like not more scenes of him trying to rescue her, him more trying to convince her, more scenes of them both like being confused. I mean, there's just they definitely could have done more with this. And it's a bummer they didn't. Was the reason that Neo couldn't do as much in The Matrix in this movie because it was a different Matrix? Because I don't feel like that was ever stated clearly enough, and it made me confused the entire movie as to how someone who had ascended to literal godhood in the previous trilogy had now been brought back to life and suddenly had no more control, you know, couldn't seem to, they ask him at one point, like, can you still fly? And he tries and it's like a little limp dick try and the ground just kind of gets wobbly. And he's like, that's not happening. The fuck is this? Why? Well, Cause they had an idea for a motorcycle scene. That's why it happened, Kevin. That's, that's why he couldn't do those it's things. So you can have both. It's so infuriating. You totally have both. What a what piss poor writing. This is one of the worst written movies I think I've ever seen. It's so incredibly terrible. And I think maybe maybe part of what locks something in as being an exceptionally bad movie is knowing the potential of the people involved. Because it's one thing if you go to see, you know, epic movie or like date movie or something. You remember when there was like that constant stream of shitty like quote-unquote parody movies being churned out in the yeah. early 2000s. We are the Spartans. Yes, exactly. Where all they're doing is just connecting, like loosely connecting threads from five movies and doing the thing where it's like, you remember that? We had a person dressed like that character come onto the screen. That's worth a laugh, right? It's one thing to have those where it's like, I expect those to be bad. I think the thing that makes a movie exceptionally bad is the disappointment factor of expecting more from the people involved. Like, one of the Wachowski sisters agreed to work on this movie. The other one walked, 
but one of the sisters agreed to work on this movie. I feel bad for her that this is the final movie that came out. Isn't it partially her fault? I think there's probably blame there. I think because even if it's a situation where, I mean, it's tricky. There's all kinds of, it's all kinds of shit. I don't know what they've been up to. I don't know what kinds of things they have in the pipeline that they might want to get made that maybe this was a one for you, one for me situation with Warner Brothers. So there's all kinds of considerations there. But I mean, even if somebody walks away from a creative work, citing creative differences, if the movie that comes out is a stinker, I don't like the first Ant-Man movie that much. I think Paul Rudd's incredibly charismatic. I don't like Ant-Man 1 very much. Uh, Edgar Wright is one of my favorite directors. I assume, since Edgar Wright walked away from that movie, that the Ant-Man that we didn't get to see is a perfect movie. And that the one that I didn't like is never going to measure up to the one that we didn't get to see. So like if I think it was Lily that worked on this one, if Lily had walked away from this movie, Lana, that was Lana. If Lana had walked away from this movie and said, I can't do this. They're trying to change too much creative differences. And then the movie came out and it was a piece of shit. No harm, no foul. And I guess that's kind of what I'm struggling to understand is like, I guess where people draw the line with, art and commerce and what they want to reflect on them as an artist because lana this is part of her legacy as a filmmaker now this bad movie i think it's their baby and so the question is can you do you want somebody else to fuck with your baby or do you want to be the only person who handles your your invention right like they created this world warner brothers says we're gonna do this no matter what and one of them is like, you know what? That's fine. Cut it up if you have to. And the other one's like, you know, I got to I got to be a part of this. I think that's really what happened. And I think maybe the script was I mean, it looks like it looks like Lana directed, wrote and produced this or at least is featured as all those things. So they had a hand in this. I don't know if the whole thing was a middle finger to <laughs> to Warner Brothers or what. But I mean, also looking at their. Their films. I'm going to run through them real quick. Assassins Bound, The Matrix, The Matrix Revisited, The Animatrix, The Matrix Reloaded, The Matrix Revolutions. That's like one, two, three, four, five, like four different Matrix properties already. Uh, One of them, one of them is a documentary about The Matrix. And then V for Vendetta, The Invasion, Speed Racer, Ninja Assassin, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, The Matrix Resurrections. Like. I guess people like Cloud Atlas, right? But like, does anything else jump out on you as like amazing? Like Jupiter Ascending wasn't like a brilliant work, you know? Like, no. Of their of their work, The Matrix is is the thing. It's I you a lot of people would say it's like their only thing, you know? They wrote V for Vendetta. That's pretty cool. They did Speed Racer. I mean, I've never had a, a single conversation with anyone about Speed Racer, like. They do the Matrix. People kind of fucking ride for that movie. There's like a whole community of really? people online that like really fuck with that movie. Maybe it's not that. I mean, Viva Vendetta had that cult following for sure, but they weren't directing that. But sure. like, it's weird. So maybe that's part of the maybe that's part of the argument too, right? Is the idea that you know the 
the first couple things that you make when you're working with a big studio, right? Or if you're a musician, you're working with a record label, the first couple of things that you make have the record labels interference in it. And I think in some regards that can be a good thing because they're able to maybe show you, I know a lot of people that are in bands and they're like artists and they would never sacrifice a part of a song that they've recorded that is like really abrasive. And so it's like, like a label would probably tell them to get that out of the song. And then I don't know if you've ever heard the early demos of Don't Speak by No Doubt. It sucks. There's a ton of accordion. There's so much accordion. And so the label's going to step in and say like, hey, maybe we're going to put you together with a producer that's going to help you make decisions that's going to turn this into a number one hit. I'm wondering if maybe this is part of the thing too, where like the first had a little bit of not interference, but uh, feedback from more experienced people. And then once it became this crazy runaway success, the Wachowskis became this like household name and then nobody could tell them what to do anymore. They could just go have absolute freedom. I think in those situations, maybe people could use a little bit more handholding for a while as they like mature as artists. I don't know. Sure. I mean, we've kind of said that about, um, I'm blanking on the name, the Justice League guy. The director oh, Zach for that. Snyder, yeah. Great one. Zach Snyder. Great example. How, how we're just like, you know, watching this new extended cut of the Justice League and we're just like, I, we, he just needs somebody to be like, you know, at the end of the day, part of your job is editing a movie, Zack Snyder. Like, yeah, at some point you have to do your job and give us something that's watchable, you know, that isn't a fucking marathon to get through. Right. Like, and also if you know that you're making one of these movies, you know that if you turn in a four hour movie, they're going to be mad. So don't write a four hour movie. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you were talking about the battle between like the artist and the producer. And I think that is a perpetual yin yang thing where they both need each other. Right. Like, I don't know. I, I, how many artists out there are we really just like, wow, we fucking love how artsy you are, you know, like it's like a comics comic, right? Like yeah. you go to the club and it's like, oh, this guy, this is the guy that has all the guys in the back of the room laughing. And it's like, well, that's good because no one in the front of the room is laughing. <laughs> and at some point <laughs> you gotta, you gotta pick which side you want to be on, you know, like I, I'm sure there's a lot of artists that needed to, you know, get in better shape or cut that bridge or, you know, fire the accordion guy in order to even make it at all. I think that's like the relationship for every artist. There needs to be somebody there being like, uh, I don't love this. <laughs> and they balance <laughs> each other out. They balance each other out. So. I mean, who knows? I don't think these guys were given a blank. They weren't given the Snyder treatment. I don't think with any of these movies, but. Maybe. I mean, how many people wanted to wanted Speed Racer and they made Speed Racer because they wanted to make Speed Racer. So that's cool. I mean, good for them. <laughs> uh, trying to think about if there's any are there any like through lines between this and like other movies that we've been critical of so far? I mean, Venom comes to mind. I mean, the Zack Snyder cut comes to mind. We already made a comparison there, you know, we've we reviewed bad movies on this podcast before. Like what ties them together? If anything. Yeah, I would say we almost exclusively talk about bad movies on this podcast. I think our it's probably like 80-20, like movies that we have thought were pretty bad or could have been a lot better versus movies that we have no issues with. Um, 
I mean, one of them has to be that there are clear rules in place. That's something that's always like really clear in a horror movie. And it's something that you've always brought up about superheroes is that you need to know the rules. You need to know the restrictions because what a superhero can do isn't interesting. It's what they can't do. It's what I love about your X-Men take is that if you get five X-Men together, they have the powers of Thor. Like any (laughs) one of them is just like a human that can also like turn their hand into metal. And it's like, that's great. But like, you can't fly. But then this other one can fly, but if they land too quick, they're going to break their legs. So what's interesting there is seeing how they overcome their restrictions. And the answer to that is they have to work really, really well as a team and practice and communicate. So like that's what makes them really compelling. They can't be like a bunch of loose cannons like the Avengers. They have to have each other's fucking backs in the field. Um, we know those restrictions. Those are very clear to us. In this movie, I don't know why Neo can't do what he can't do. You know, I don't know why when we see uh, two of the programs present in the physical, like, quote-unquote, real human world, I don't know why one of them is made of all the little metal beads and the other one's a hologram. I just don't fucking know. Is it because it looks cooler? Because that's not enough. Like, that's not enough. What do you think? Yes. I agree with you on all of that. I think as far as the rules thing goes, the Matrix series has, I think it was a perfect example of this, right? Is, I believe it's the end of the second Matrix. By the end of that movie, we've seen what Neo can do in the Matrix. In the first movie, well, they do a great job establishing these rules. This is a running theme in the Matrix, right? They establish rules. You can't beat an agent. If you see an agent, run. You can't dodge a bullet, you know? And someday you're going to be able to make him make him stop or whatever. That's the rules. Like if you break reality, then you can do these incredible things and you can't do it. These are impossible things to do. But Neo does them. He does the impossible. And we know it's impossible because multiple characters have said that it is impossible. They've said they believe in him. We think you can do it, but it's impossible. Nobody else believes in him. So they, they set expectations. They broke them. Then we then the second movie ends. I think they're in the real world. A robot is about to attack them at the end of this movie and Neo stops it and he stops it outside of the matrix. And we're all like, what the fuck is going on based on the rules of the universe that you have established? This is an impossible thing. I mean, outside of the matrix, he's a regular human being. He shouldn't be able to do this. So when they break those rules that they've established, we're all like, oh, what the holy shit. That's how you get a holy shit moment is you create a reality and then you subvert it. And the Matrix is so good at doing that. Why didn't they do that in this movie? They didn't. There were no rules in this movie. There's nothing in this movie. They just they just did the thing. You know, I guess the rule subversion is the idea that Trinity has powers. But. I guess. But also at the end of the movie, Keanu has his powers back, too. So what is that? They needed to be together. I mean, fuck. I guess. Why is it one character saying like, okay, here's here's I'm already we're going to do a quick rewritables. We're going to do a quick rewritables. You're listening to the rewritables podcast with Kevin Bauer and Tim Keck. 
we're going to do a quick rewritables. This is my pitch to you. Yeah, hit it. To make this movie better. Come on. The first, the first third of this movie, exactly the same. Keanu's in this thing. They wake him up. He gets back to the ship. It's like Trinity's still in there, right? He goes in. He tries to talk to her in a coffee shop. The major, whatever. We get some bad guy, kidnaps Trinity. She's being held hostage in a building a la Morpheus. You know, and then they just run back what they did in the fucking Matrix movie where Neo, who doesn't have all of his powers yet, because you know why? He's nothing without Trinity. So he's not the one unless he gets his girl. So he goes, they all strap up again, him and Morpheus and this girl, whatever, Bad Bunny, whatever the fuck her name was. They get all their guns. <laughs> they storm in there. They shoot the fucking place up. They go through the building or the sewer, whatever. Come up with a new set, some new design. That's when you do the motorcycle scenes. That's when you do all this badass stuff. And you, it's a normal human fighting. Trinity can break out as a human. She can start to recover all this stuff. But at a certain point, when the odds are stacked against them, they're reaching for each other. She's reaching for him. He's reaching for her. Their fingers touch. Wham. Now they're both the one and they're just dodging bullets. They're whipping things apart. They're just like completely morphing the reality around them because they are the fucking matrix. And that's what I would have loved to see. But instead they gave us that shit. Boom. I'm standing up and saluting right now. <laughs> Today, Damn, Kevin, we it's okay. celebrate our Independence Day. <laughs> oh, my God. It's that easy, man. And you know what? It's fucking great template. We get it. When they're running back these movies, it fits thematically. They've been doing all these things where they're showing us these bits and pieces of the previous movie. Part of the conceit is that they're making another one of these things because audiences want another one of these things. But they understand that what we really want is that hit of nostalgia. So you give us a clip show. You give us the shit that we already know, but in a slightly different way. And that lets the filmmakers really stretch their wings and say like, okay, cool. We know the way that like the lobby fight happened in the first Matrix. Give us the same set. I want to see what this fight choreographer 20 years later does. Every single thing, 20 years, every single thing that this fight choreographer <laughs> has ever worked on has been influenced by the original Matrix. So I want to see what this dude does with the same exact set. It's incredible. Like that's such a great setup. That is something that I would love to watch. I would still watch that if they made that right now. The same exact setup is, I think, a really awesome take, and it would go perfectly in line with the rest of the movie. This is a world he's created. They can go into the world. They can go into the past and redo these things. But instead of him going in with Trinity, he's going in to rescue Trinity. And guess what? Who's with him? Because he thinks he's going in alone because he's the one he wants to save her. Then Morpheus shows up. He's ready to rumble. Bad oh Bunny shows God. up. She's ready to rumble. The eight other nameless people in their crew, they all show up. They're ready to <laughs> rumble. The man who was one now has a crew and he is rolling in deep, baby, to get Trinity back. My God. And when all hope is lost, little finger tap. Bam. God, that'd be so juicy. I'm rock oh. hard under my desk right now, Kevin. This is <laughs> wild. Uh, I can tell the desk. It's like up at an angle. Oh, the angle. Um, yeah. You, the laptop is just showing the top of my face <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, I see your scalp in the ceiling. Um, oh, my God. Dude, the, uh, it's so funny how you mentioned the nameless eight other people in the crew, because when they come in in slow motion for like the 
climax of this movie. Lauren and I were like, I don't know or care who any of these people are, but it doesn't take much to get you to like a character in an action movie. All you have to do is see them do one cool action thing. That's it. The one character, the one character that you knew the name of was Bunny. You're calling her Bad Bunny. It's fine. I'll allow that. But Bugs, um, (laughs) she gets that. The only thief that I had written down for this movie is she gets that backflip off of the building early in the movie. I was like, that was fucking cool. That's all it takes. You give a character one cool little action sequence like that. In a remake of the lobby fight and the office building fight, you have enough time to give that entire crew their own little, like, you know, action sequences. So by the time Neo has a crew in this rewritten version of the movie, you care about the whole gang. It's great. It's brilliant. Cut it. Print it. Stream it. And let's do it with this podcast because we've already given this this movie too much time. Oh, my God. Way too much. (laughs) Jesus, we should have just done a rewritables for this. We should have just done a whole rewritables, scrap the whole thing, just rewritten this movie, you know, and showed the Wachowskis how it's done, I guess. It's way easier to do it from this podcast than I'm sure it is writing a whole movie, but, you know, that's how it is. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, five stars, whatever. On Spotify, we've got little questions now, so that's kind of fun. If you like Spotify stuff, we're on there, baby. Uh, Spotify exclusive, except, oh, yeah. you know, we're allowed to do other stuff. Uh, we're going to, we got polls on there too now. So there's going to be a poll up for this episode today. The poll is going to be, would you watch Tim's rewritten version of the Matrix Resurrections? Warning, the only answer is going to be yes. Hell yeah, baby. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.